Well, good morning, Northland. Good morning. That's the kind of response I like to hear. Praise the Lord. It's so good to be with you guys today. I am happy to be here. And since this is the 11 o'clock service, I'm going to take a couple of liberties and do some things that I didn't do in the earlier services. And that is, number one, I'm going to recognize a couple of people. I'm going to first recognize my lovely and gracious wife of 42 years. Would you give her an applause? <clears throat> She's sitting right over there. And, and yes, 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 stand. I'll stand for you, baby. I'll stand. All right. And we have a birthday in the house. One of our pastors, one of our great pastors, Pastor Derwin, is celebrating a birthday today. So I would sing the happy birthday song to him, but I did that already in the back. So we are covered and we are good. All right. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I have a mentor who has since gone on to be with the Lord. His name was Pastor Alvin Morrison. <clears throat> and Pastor Morrison told me, he said, Pastor Taylor, the best way to give a good speech, to give a good talk or to pre preach a good sermon is to have a very good beginning, to have a very good ending and to have those two very, very close together. If you believe what Pastor Morrison said, would you say amen? amen? All right, you let me know where I stand with you right off the bat. All right. <clears throat> it's so good to be with you here. I have a couple of questions I want to ask you. The first question is, will you raise your hand if you know anybody whose life you've seen change since they came to Jesus? Amen. Glad to see there's so many hands. And I, I really am interested about the changes you've seen but we're going to move right into question number two. And question number two is, do you really want to know what a conversion experience looks like? Would you like to know? All right. Very good. I'm glad. I'm so glad you asked. Conversion. Here's the definition. Conversion means a turning about. And for the usage of what we're going to be speaking about today, it is a turning to God. So before we go into that definition a little bit more as it relates to some of the saints of God we're going to be talking about, I want to just give uh, an acknowledgement a pray of pray. Uh, sorry, let me back up. I want to give an acknowledgement of appreciation applause to our senior pastor, Pastor Josh Laxon. Will you give that for him? <laughs> now, let me tell you, spending two weeks with someone in Nairobi, Kenya, and in Cairo, Egypt, you learn a lot about a man. And this guy is the real deal. He is graceful, he is knowledgeable, and he is well-received, and you should be happy that he is the representative from Northland around the world. <clears throat> and I'm blessed to be here uh, because I'm going to have the opportunity to share about the Apostle Paul's Damascus Road conversion experience. I recently, as you know, had this experience myself with Pastor uh, Josh and 
with uh, Elder Tim Wright and some others, many of you may be sprinkled in here, the Curtises, uh, Pastor Robert and there's some others, uh, Matt and some others who were there with us. We went on a mission trip, as I said, to Nairo and to Cairo. And in that process, we had to learn something about conversions. Okay? Conversions. That was difficult. We had to convert from Eastern New York time to right now, it would be seven o'clock in the morning, tomorrow morning. No, no, it's seven o'clock in, see, I can't even do it. I can't even do it. Seven o'clock in the evening in Kenya right now. And that's the time zone we had. To, we had to go through two of those because we had to come back to another time zone in Egypt. That was difficult. And we had to learn how to convert from Fahrenheit to Celsius. Now, why? Why, do we have, why doesn't everybody just use Fahrenheit? I don't get it, all right? And we had to convert from using units to using metric measures. We had to figure out the conversion rate for money, how many shillings are in a dollar, and how many pounds are in a dollar when we look to Egypt. So those are examples of some of the things we had to learn about conversion. For those of you who may be in school, as you are young lady, you might have to learn how to convert from fractions to decimals. All those are things that bring about experience for you in learning how to convert. Today, we're going to focus on the meaning, though, of a conversion of turning about as it relates from turning from a belief considered to be false to an accepted religious truth. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever thought you just had the answer that you had nailed it and that you knew exactly what you were talking about only to be proven completely wrong? It has to me, right? Well, I'm going to introduce you today to three people this has happened to. First, I'd like for you to welcome to the stage our own lovely and gracious Miss Ray Cherie as we do a quick interview with her this morning. <clears throat> Thank you, Ray Cherie. Of course, She Pastor has been Vince. a real trooper. She's been with us at three services, Ooh. so I am just so grateful for her. It's early, y'all. It's her. early. <laughs> All right, so, Ray Cherie, tell me, what was your life like before you had your conversion experience? Well, I'd be glad to share that. I grew up in a Christian loving home. Um, if any of you have seen Jesus Revolution, my parents and I were actually at Calvary Chapel. We were there, we lived it, we had a commune, it was great. Um, and I grew up in the faith, had wonderful parents who taught me and instructed me. But you know, I always just had this sense that I could do things better, that I I really didn't need to call on him, and I certainly didn't need to call on him daily. I just kind of lived my life, kind of played the fence, and was that way pretty much all the way up through my young adult years. Well, then tell me, since you were that way, how did Jesus intervene in your life? That's the hard part. Well, I had sort of a, a life-devastating event. Um, my marriage of almost 27 years crumbled um, due to 
infidelity, there was alcoholism, um, my selfishness, and just a lot of pride and thinking that I could just do this on my own. And it humbled me, it broke me down, especially a few years later when the father of my children died. And having to work through that with them um, was very painful, a lot of crying, but God put me in a place where I could recognize that sin, that, that pride, that self-centeredness. Oh, that's, that's wonderful that God would do that for you. What people were involved in your conversion? Well, I would say that God was very strategic. First of all, for me, I needed, I needed silence. I needed to be alone. I needed to have some care for my heart. And during this time, I moved up to Mississippi, and we found a Bible-believing, really wonderful church where the women were very nurturing. They prayed for me. They prayed over me. They encouraged me to just heal. I spent a couple of years just worshiping and crying and on my knees and feeling God's presence stronger than I ever had. And I knew at that moment I didn't want to try to fix it, correct it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it on my own. So I really had to just cry out and ask the Lord to change my heart. And so when God did change your heart, what happened after that conversion? Well, number one, it wasn't always easy and it still isn't easy. But along that way, I began to realize that it was a relationship. I needed to not be on the fence. I was lukewarm. And the fence, it's not Christ's fence. And I was just going to be asking for trouble all the time if I just stayed in it. And I just decided this God who rescued me and healed me was here. He was with me, in me, around me. And I wanted to pray with people. God sent people into my life, the Maruluses. Kim walked with me, prayed with me, cared for me. We have wonderful people like Vince and Charlene who have strengthened my marriage now. I'm married to a wonderful man, Rice, who encourages me to be at church and who loves me well. But, you know, having three boys that may not have always had the best example, I just want to encourage you mothers, don't give up praying for your children. Don't give up praying for your children. Never give up praying for your husband. Pray for your children. Pray for your pastors. Because that's, that's our job. That's our job. But that's the fire that God put in me. Amen. Amen. So um, what do you do now to tell others about Christ? <laughs> this. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I have so much passion for worship. You know, that's what we're going to be doing around the throne. And it is just... It's just fantastic when the Holy Spirit moves and when you can worship and you can see the faces and the, hear the, the voices of the congregation, um, it blesses me. But it really helps me to tell my story through worship. And um, I believe that that's what I'm called to do. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Cherie, Absolutely. For, for sharing Absolutely. that with us. Give me a hug. God bless you. Thank you so much. Well, I'll tell you what, that's a beautiful story, isn't it? And, and I want to tell you that it, it, it has happened to two other people that we're going to go into today. I'm going to tell you my experience, but it also happened to the Apostle Paul. And we're going to go through seven short steps of Paul's Damascus Road conversion experience. And these steps are here on the board right now. But what I'm going to do is I am going to draft you guys to read 
as we go along so that you can help me stay on track, okay? So let's go to the first item. Item number one, would you read this for me? That's right, I'm glad you asked. Before his conversion, Paul was a religious gangster. Did I say that right for the young folk, gangster? Yeah, he was a religious, I mean, Paul was the, Paul was biggie. <laughs> that might not be right. I don't even know who biggie is. I just heard the name. <laughs> Paul, Paul was a religious gangster. He persecuted the church. He believed they were celebrating the way of Jesus falsely when compared to what he had been doing all his life, and that is teaching about the law. So Paul thought that they were completely in error. To dramatize this for you, let me tell you the story of Stephen. Stephen was a man who went before the Sanhedrin council, which was the big kahunas in, the, in Israel at this time. And he told them the story from Abraham all the way to Jesus Christ. And they did not want to hear it. They were very upset because they were not followers of Jesus Christ. And so what they did is they got everybody together and they stoned Stephen. They stoned him to death. And there was a man there watching who is going to be a principal character and what we are talking about today. So let's stand and read these three short verses concerning Saul. And we're gonna read from Acts one through three. So let's read it together. I'd like to hear you please. Here we go. And Saul approved of their killing him. Amen. You may be seated. Now, Saul was his name in scripture at this time, and he approved not only of the killing of Stephen, but he got letters from the chief priest. He got letter from the big kahuna, the president, so to speak, to be able to go outside of his jurisdiction. He left Jerusalem, went 150 miles down the road to um, to uh, Damascus and was going to bring anybody who believed in Jesus Christ back to Jerusalem so they could most likely do the same thing to them that they did to Stephen. Paul was zealous. Paul was a gangster. He was a gangster. And he was going up to Damascus to get these folks. So let's read now in Acts chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. And it reads this way. Meanwhile, Saul was 
still breathing out. This is after he had been there and seen Stephen get stoned to death. I don't realize, you know, sometimes I don't think we really understand what stoning is. It ain't some cute thing at McDonald's where you got these little plastic things you throwing at people. These are rocks that are hard, that are going to destroy, they're going to rip your skin, they're going to puncture your eye, they're going to break and bloody your nose. That's what stoning does. And they did that to his death. But meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. It wasn't enough he was kicking around people at home. He wanted to get out of there and go down to Miami and get some people. So that if he found any who belonged to the way, that is the way of Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. The man was a gangster and that was his condition before his conversion experience. Would you now read point two for me? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Jesus stopped Paul dead in his tracks. We're going to read now Acts chapter 9, verse 3 through 9. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now watch these next four words. Who are you, Lord? I want you to stick a pin in that, okay? Who are you, Lord? He replied, Saul asked. I am Jesus who you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Verse seven, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened, opened his eyes, he could not see anything. He could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Now, I want you to keep in mind Saul is not some ordinary person. Saul actually is a pretty big deal. Saul spoke multiple languages, right? He was commissioned by the high priest. He had great confidence in his work. Paul had a pedigree. And the pedigree is shared with us in Philippians chapter three, verse five through six. And it reads this way. Paul was circumcised on the eighth day. That's when it's supposed to be done. The of the people of Israel. That's who he's supposed to be from. Of the tribe of Benjamin, 
registered and anointed to be there. A Hebrew of Hebrews. In regards to the law, a Pharisee, a stickler. I follow, mint and rue, I follow the law exactly. As for zeal, he persecuted the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. Faultless. Paul was a pretty big deal. But what, here's the backstory. God don't care who you are. God is not a respecter of persons. He brings down the high and haughty like Paul and elevates the meek and the humble. So keep this in mind, saints of God. Neither Saul nor we are too big for God to convert us right where we are. If he can use a donkey in Numbers 22, as hard-headed as donkeys are, surely he can give us a conversion experience to validate who he is and to use us for his glory. Those experiences are very real. Those experiences, those Damascus Road experiences. I know some people who have had conversion experiences that come to know Jesus on their hospital bed. I led my father to Christ on his hospital bed. Others have come to know Jesus from miraculously walking away from car accidents. It's something that happened to one of my colleagues about a month ago, right here in town. Some have come to know Jesus through the experiences of sicknesses being healed. Anybody had that experience before? Have a sickness that's been healed or somebody in your family's been healed of a sickness? Marriages being restored and on and on and on. Are there any witnesses in the house to any of these things? Amen. Won't he do it? God can do it. So back to our story. So Saul was with his boys heading up to Damascus to bust some people up. That, that didn't come out right. Um, <laughs> That's not, uh, I got a little Ebonics in there. Uh, I slipped, slipped that in there on y'all. I don't know if y'all noticed that. Anyway, you know what I mean. You can find out all about that. And there's, one, there's a lady over here who's looking and saying, Ebonics, what is Ebonics? What is he talking about? It, it's, <laughs> that's okay. You can find out about that in Acts 9, 1 through 12. The light of the living God stopped him dead in his tracks. This is how Jesus first intervened in Saul's life. So now, read for me the third point. The principal person involved in his conversion was Jesus. And there was also somebody named Ananias. Let's look at Acts 9, 
verse 10 through 16. And it reads this way. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Yes, Lord, he answered. Let's stop it right there. Do you remember I told you to stick a pen in something a while back? Huh? Do you remember when, when, when Jesus was talking to Saul, right? What did Saul say? Who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? You see, Saul did not know the voice of God. Whereas Ananias, his disciple, knows his voice. True saints of God will be able to recognize when God is speaking to you directly, but you have to have had an experience to be able to get to that point. Otherwise, you too will ask the very same question. Who are you, Lord? But Ananias didn't have to do that. He recognized right off the bat. He said, yes, Lord. He answered, verse 11. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. I just, I'm just going to throw this in. I got no religious, I got no proof, evidence of this. But he was on Straight Street. You'd kind of think God was getting ready to straighten his life out. <laughs> I got no proof of that. I got no proof. But Straight Street. Make your way straight, right? Okay, here we go. Verse 12. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, Paul is a gangster. It's <laughs> not exactly what he said, but it is in a way. He said, Lord, I've heard many reports about this man. All the harm he has done to your holy people. He's breaking bones and taking names. There I go again. I'm sorry. <laughs> but y'all get the picture, right? You get the picture. Let's read, read it the way it's supposed to be read. Verse 13. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer my name. And he did suffer. Ananias was involved, but the root of Saul's and our conversion is Jesus. He is the light of the world. He is our great redeemer. He is our soul restorer. The principles involved were Jesus and Ananias. So as we pass over the halfway point, read this next point for me. Verse 
I'm glad you asked. Acts chapter 9, verse 17 through 18 reads this way. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. Think about that. Something like scales. It didn't say it was scales, but something like scales. What could it have been? Were, was it the blindness of deceit? Was it the blindness of false thinking? The blindness of misplaced anger? The blindness of a desire to have his own way? The blindness of selfishness? The blindness of being a hitman to harm God's people? I find it so amazing that even though Paul's eyes were open, he could not see. Have you ever been like that? I, yes, you have. Yes, you have. You know sometimes you're driving down the street and you think you know where you're going. Your eyes wide open, but you go the wrong way and your wife telling you all the way, all the time you should be turning over here. You know, everybody has had their eyes open, but they really could not see. Not only that, his friends were in the same condition. They could hear, but they could not see anything. So we're still dealing with the question of what changed after his conversion? Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, this is Acts chapter 9, beginning at verse 19. And now I'm at verse 20. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Now watch this. Watch, watch this. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? Now, for most of my life, I thought these people who were talking were the ones who were following Jesus. But as I read this more closely, guess who this is? These are Paul's compatriots. These are the ones who are still in the synagogue. These are the ones who are still following the law. These are the ones who sent Paul out to do the job that he was supposed to do. So how dare you, Paul? come in here and start talking to us about Jesus when we sent you out to get those people who were supposed to be brought back here so that we could punish them for what you're trying to come in here and tell us right now. Didn't we give you a letter from the high priest to be able to accomplish your task? Paul, you are out of the club. You are no longer a part 
of what we are trying to do. So, in verse 22, yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy. Remember those people I was telling you about who threw them out of the club? Look at what they're trying to do. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they watched at the gate to keep an eye on it so they could kill him. I'm not reading. I, I jumped off of that. Verse 25, I'll get back on track. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. Look for this to happen in your conversion experience too. When Jesus gets into your heart, you start talking about him everywhere. His name, his word began to come out of your mouth. It exists in your thinking. And the people you used to hang around with are going to become baffled by you. Some will not agree with you and may seek to silence you. I've seen it happen. It's normal. This is a part of the conversion process. So the, to answer the question, what changed? He was converted from being zealous about the law to being zealous about Jesus. He went from being loved by his colleagues who he set up with in the synagogue to being hated by them. He went from being the persecutor of those who follow Jesus to being persecuted for following Jesus. Remember that God say, I will show him how much he must go through for my name's sake. So that is what changed in the life of Paul as he had his Damascus, Damascus Road experience. Now, actually, Paul is really called Saul at this point because his name is not really changed. I think it's the 13th chapter and the ninth verse where they really began to call him Paul. So if I interchange it between Saul and Paul, please forgive me. But let's move on to our next point. Point five. Would you read it for me? Okay. So now we're moving on to Acts chapter nine, verse 26 and 27. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. I'm going to stop right there. They were not having it. They say, wait a minute, man. How stupid do you think you are? You want to join us? Aren't you the one who was sitting there when Stephen was killed? Aren't you the one who got letters from the high priest to go out and get us? to stop us from being able to be of the way of Jesus. We're not having this. We're not letting. So Paul couldn't go to his people, the ones who were sitting in the synagogue who were following the law, and Paul couldn't even go to the disciples at first. This is a man that was hated all around initially. 
But let's keep reading. When, Paul, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing he was a disciple. But there was a man, and there's going to be a person in your life who's going to act as a son of encouragement. And in this case, it was a man by the name of Barnabas. Verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So who are those people who were a part of his new journey? Well, certainly there is Jesus, right? There is Barnabas, there is the apostles, and soon other believers. In essence, it's like-minded believers in the true and living God. So in your conversion experience, find some saints who will help you to grow. How can you tell if you found a good mentor? They will speak more about Jesus than they do about their own personal accomplishments. They will care more about your faith being developed than about themselves. That's how you know the answer for number five. Let's move on to point six. Would you read this for me? I didn't, I didn't hear y'all. Read that again for me. Oh, I'm glad I heard you that time. Acts chapter 9, 28 and 29. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews. Those are those highly intellectual Jews. Those are those Jews who knew everything. Those were those Jews who had studied along with them at the feet of Gamiel. And even they tried to kill him. We know Paul. He preached to anyone who would listen. So he was trying to influence Jew and Gentile alike at that point. We know he had access to the highest of leadership in the Sanhedrin council. So their ears had to be burning. They had to be burning. How can this man who we have trained and we have sent out to do a job to help us keep things in order come back to us espousing the very thing that we sent him out to kill? How can that be? His life reflected a true metamorphosis from persecutor to preacher of the word of God and Jesus Christ. What a story to tell. He went from doing things against God to becoming a friend of God. Just like you and just like you and just like you 
and you and you and me. He went. And because God is calling on us to tell the story of how he miraculously has changed our life and to demonstrate his powers in the way that we live with a new sense of purpose. So let's wind up these points by moving on to point seven. Would you read this for me? These are so important, I think we're going to put these on the wall for you. The first thing that Paul did is he continually decreased so that Christ could increase. And you find that in John 3, 30. The next one. He learned to consider others greater than himself. That we find in Philippians 2, 3. He considered his life as rubbish. I mean, Paul was educated, spoke three languages, a Roman citizen, a Jew, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Concerning the law, he was faultless. Paul considered all of that rubbish compared to what Christ did for us on the cross. He learned how to stop making noise like a clanging cymbal and to love unconditionally as he wrote in 1 Corinthians 13. And then old things had passed away. All things had become new to him. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. In essence, Paul became a friend of God. For those of you who are really astute, you will know that at the beginning of this, I told you I was gonna tell you about three stories. We've heard the story of Ray Sharif, and we've heard the story of Paul. Everyone may not have an experience in their life like that. And as I surmise this, I'm gonna ask that the altar workers and prayer warriors who work at the front come forward now so that we can receive those who may wish to come forward. So now I'm gonna tell you about my story. I was baptized on Um, I was baptized on June 7th, 1965. I was in the church, but I wasn't living for Christ. I was not living for Christ. I moved to Orlando in 1987 with two children. We added two children here and we connected with a church home where I had an affinity for working with young people and teenagers. And the pastor at that church asked me if I would consider teaching a high school Sunday school class. Bam, 
my Damascus, my Damascus Road experience. Because I was doing everything a person my age would do. I was smoking, I was drinking, I was doing everything a person, young person, might do. Hmm. So when he asked me this, knowing that I love to work with teenagers, I had to make a decision. I could not find it within myself to tell these young people who would look to me as a mentor, who would look to me for leadership, one thing that the Bible says, and then walk away from them and live a life that was counterproductive. In essence, I could not live a lie. And so what happened was, I had to make a choice. And I chose Jesus. And just as he did with Paul and just as he did with Ray Cherie, he surrounded me with mentors. He surrounded me with prayer warriors. He surrounded me with pastors and like-minded thinking people about the word of God who welcomed me into their space. And I too became a friend of God. You have a story that must be told. Your story may be the story that brings someone out of the place of being afraid or a foe of God to also being a friend of God. So as we prepare to leave this place today, I want the stage workers to please come. Ray Cherie has said that she will be here on the front if anybody would like for her to pray with them or to learn more about her story. She's going to gracefully make herself available.